This is Positive Parenting. Parenting expertise and advice from best-selling parenting author and national newspaper columnist, Mr. Dad, Armin Brott. Hello and welcome to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, the founder of MrDad.com. Every day, we witness people acting in rude and selfish ways. Whether they cut in front of us at Starbucks, snap at the overburdened waitress at Denny's, or take credit for their employee's project at work, jerks seem to be everywhere. And since these self-centered individuals are, by definition, unable and unwilling to address their objectionable behavior, there really isn't much we can do about them. Or is there? According to my guest for this part of today's show, a New York City-based psychologist who's seen more than his fair share of insolent behavior, we can actually do a lot. He argues that if we're brutally honest about our own behavior, we'll see that there is a lot we can change because it turns out that many of us are, in fact, jerks. And true to form, we don't realize that we are. The truth, says my guest, is that absolutely anyone under the right circumstances can be a jerk. Why? Well, because we are reacting to others who are breaking a set of rules that we have created in our own minds. And others don't usually play by our rules, especially if they don't know what those rules are. As a result, we simply set others up to let us down, and by doing so, we rationalize our bad behavior towards them. We'll start talking about how not to be a jerk when Positive Parenting continues. More with Mr. Dad, Armin Brat, after this, from the MrDad.com radio network. Peekaboo, peekaboo, smile. Smile, buddy. Come on, smile. Oh, honey, he's still not smiling. Maybe he's not a smiler. Yeah, maybe he's just not a happy baby. Maybe he's just being a boy. You know how boys are. Or maybe he's teething. Oh, poor baby. I think his gums hurt. Maybe he's just tired. Or maybe his tummy hurts. He didn't eat that much. Maybe he's not ticklish. You think maybe he's scared of the dog? Maybe he'll outgrow it. Maybe it's a phase. Maybe he just doesn't like smiling. Maybe he has autism. And we can definitely do something to help. Maybe is all you need to find out more about autism. No big, joyful smiles by six months is one early sign. Learn the others at AutismSpeaks.org signs or see a doctor today for an autism screening. The sooner it's diagnosed, the better. And it can make a lifetime of difference. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brat, and my guest for this part of today's show is Mark Borg, who's the author of Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself, Change Your World. Mark, thanks for joining us. I'm really happy to be here. So you're just jumping right out there and getting in people's faces with a title like that. Yeah, I mean, I, the funny thing is, is at first, you know, the, it, it struck me as something that I myself needed to have put so thoroughly in my own face in order for me to kind of get a handle on any ways in which I might have been acting poorly toward other people that I kind of needed my own shock treatment to even get into this project. So I, I'm kind of offering it as a bit of a shock as a lead into the book, but really it, it, it's far more gentle once you get inside. Yeah, and I think in in the service of gentleness, we're just going to refer to to people who are expressing those kinds of uh, behaviors as jerks. 
Um, but yeah. g- give us a, a background, a little bit of what a jerk is in your view, and trying to get the listeners to to have an open mind about this, because part of your premise is that we ourselves, in many cases, are without even realizing it. Correct. Uh, some synonyms that have been used, uh, I think, somewhat incorrectly, is narcissist, unless you really get deep into what narcissism actually is, because narcissism as it's really defined, especially in psychoanalytic terms, is a kind of a scar that's left over from very early mistreatment from the environment, usually caretakers. So the jerk, as I'm describing her or him, is a person who is acting out certain ways of being anxious or being insecure, feeling uncared for, unloved, in ways that are meant to call for attention, that are meant as a kind of protest against the way that they're feeling or the way that they've been actually treated, which wind up backfiring and then making them feel far worse. So my, my whole book is really a plea for the person who's acting out this old, maybe even ancient anxiety and insecurity in ways that are met with hostility to drop that weapon, because the jerk behavior that I'm describing gets used as a kind of be- a weapon that winds up really hurting other people, and then they counterattack, and a life becomes very messy and, and painful and lonely. You're a practicing analyst and psychologist. Are, are you using the, the term in a clinical sort of way? or Because I think a lot of us would say, well, the guy who cuts us off in traffic or does some obnoxious thing or says some really unkind thing to, to something or, or you know, stiffs a waitress on a tiff or, or, or just treats somebody badly in public, people would say, what a jerk. There's something different between an acute explosion of jerkiness and somebody who's like that all the time. Absolutely a, a difference in how it's manifested, but the difference might be more in terms of chronicity versus being acute. You know, the, the examples that you gave, those might be examples of where the person maybe isn't a jerk. Maybe they're not a chronic jerk, but maybe something happened that day. Maybe something happened. Maybe I'm, I misperceived a slight coming from somebody else, and then I reacted. Maybe I'm displacing something from somewhere else. Maybe I woke up on the wrong side of the bed or didn't feel like I got respected as I walked out of the door for my wife and kids. You know, that, that there is sort of the incidental jerk, but then there's the more chronic jerk, and, and, and that's the one I'm really trying to reach. So I'm actually trying to reach that person in myself. You know, mm-hmm. I'm trying to get at what is it that puts us in this weird place where we are misperceiving counterattacks from other people as unprovoked attacks. I cut someone off in traffic, and they get really upset with me, and I think they're attacking me. I'm really convinced of that because the, the thing about acting out behavior is that it means behavior becomes a way of expressing feeling rather than me actually feeling the feeling. So, so I really, if I'm using this jerky behavior regularly and chronically as a, as a psychological defense, I honestly don't know that I'm doing it. And I really do think other people are just attacking me. Like the world is a really uh, unsafe and hostile place. It's a lonely, lonely way to live. Can you give us an example of a scenario that might play out that we, so we could d- differentiate between the acute and the chronic? I'll give, you, I'll give you the example that starts this whole project. You know, I think sometimes we can be the chronic jerk in a 
in a particular relationship. We can be the jerk at our work in our in our work environment. I, I was actually in a situation uh, several years ago where I'd been working with a couple guys on on another project. In fact, you and I talked about this other project last year, this ear relationship project, and I I just started getting into my head that one of the other guys was acting like a jerk. I kept thinking he's not listening, he's railroading the project, he's tyrannizing the project. And I myself experienced a good period of time where I became the jerk. I became the chronic jerk. I was so, so concerned about being taken advantage of. I was so concerned about you know, being uh, you know, somehow unheard or that not having my wishes kind of uh, met or my needs in the project that I started literally perceiving through that lens that one of the other guys, especially in this project, was a big jerk. And I didn't use that word. <laughs> you know, I used a, a much worse word. But it wasn't until I had this epic meltdown in public, at a place where we used to meet, that I finally, I, I just, I hit such a bottom. I said, oh, my God, this is what I'm talking about. I'm seeing it in everyone else. I'm actually seeing other people, you know, mistreating me. I'm calling them jerks. And that, I discover, is the ultimate kind of telltale sign that you're a jerk. You are seeing other people everywhere as jerks. In fact, I, I have a funny kind of thing about the book. I say, if you if you want to know whether you should read this book, you're the person who thought that someone else needed it. <laughs> <You know? laughs> Put on your your therapist hat here for just a second and take us through a okay. little a little bit about what it is that got you and gets other people to that place. What what are you reacting to? I, again, I think it's this it's this sense of insecurity. It's the same thing that I think goes on in, in the kind of behavior of what we call narcissism. And there's a reason why all of these major uh, blog sites like, uh, like Psychology Today, uh, in the top five most popular uh, blog entries are, you know, how to protect yourself from a narcissist, how to protect yourself from a sociopath. So I think what happens is we get into this insecure place, and we don't feel safe enough to really reveal that to other people. So we're stuck in this place in our head to rather than really dealing with things that are making us uncomfortable, like insecurity. We start to see things that we don't like in ourselves in other people. It's, it's called projection, and it's a very kind of primitive psychological defense mechanism. And what it means is I literally can't tolerate certain things about myself, but I have to deal with them. So what do I do? I project them onto you, and all of these things I'm reacting to in you are actually things about myself that I'm not owning. That's sort of the clinical, like sort of the mm. basic okay. operation of projection is to see things that I hate in me in you. Yeah, and you know, you know, the show is called Positive Parenting, and so we definitely need to be talking about some parenting issues here. And it mm. seems like there, there can be a lot of, I guess, opportunities for it to work both ways, where the parent can see a reflection of themselves in their child and they can behave badly as a parent, or the child can act out and, and either direct it towards the parents or probably more frequently by bullying other kids uh, at school. Oh, I think that's such a good point because, I, you know, I, I have a 12-year-old who, uh, you know, was just at, at, right up until about 11.375 years old. You know, this was the sweetest, kindest, lovingest. And at about that age, about maybe, you know, just rounding the bend toward 12, she just started shutting herself in her room and she started putting on the headphones and she started checking out. And I started looking at this with all this alarm until I started saying, oh, my gosh, wait a minute. 
this is what my mother said. This is what my mother says, you know, karmically speaking, you're, this is exactly who your child is going to be. Hmm. But maybe because I wrote this book and maybe because I'm a therapist and maybe because my wife is also a therapist who sees couples. And all that said, that doesn't necessarily guarantee anything about how we're going to actually parent or live our lives. As a therapist, we still have to do the work ourselves. But I did, I felt so fortunate with my child that I could hear the voice of my mother telling me, that this is what I could expect from my child. And I was able to empathize with my child rather than to project. I didn't like that 12-year-old version of me. I didn't like how I was so lonely. I was so unhappy. My father had left all of this. And so as my child was sort of dipping into this place, and she was sometimes acting kind of like a jerk, I was able to just to reach her through my own earlier experience. And I think that's this wonderful but oftentimes kind of painful opportunity that we parents have for our children is we can relate to them, not because we're shaking a finger and judging them and, oh, you're acting like such a jerk, but asking ourselves, when was it that I acted like that and Mm. why? Talking with Mark Borg, who's the author of Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself, Change Your World. We're going to take a quick break right now. When we come back, we will keep talking to Mark. As an 18-year-old, I let my mistakes kind of take over my life. I was 0.5 credits away from completing high school, and I didn't do it. Ten years later, at age 28, Jackie finished her high school diploma. When I found out that I was pregnant, I know that I had to do something for myself if I wanted to make her a better person and provide a better life for her. My family never stopped pushing for me to be better because they knew what I could become and who I could become as a person. My support team is amazing the educational director, my sister, and even my seven-year-old daughter has just been more than the support that I could ask for. I've been given an opportunity, and I'm just thankful for it. No one gets a diploma alone. If you're thinking of finishing your high school diploma, you have help. Find free adult education classes near you at finishyourdiploma.org. That's finishyourdiploma.org. Brought to you by the Dollar General Literacy Foundation and the Ad Council. I'm Paul George of the Indiana Pacers. When I was six, I had one thing on my mind. When I was six, my days were spent playing basketball every chance I could. When I was six, my dream was to make it to the NBA. When I was six, my mom had a stroke. So I want you to learn the signs of a stroke fast. F-A-S-T. F, face drooping. A, arm weakness. S, speech difficulty. T, time to call 911. Because the sooner they get to the hospital, the sooner they'll get treatment. And that can make a remarkable difference in their recovery. I'm Paul George. Protect the ones you love. Spot a stroke F-A-S-T. Fast. Life is why. Visit strokeassociation.org. Brought to you by the American Stroke Association and the Ad Council. Welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott. If you're just joining us, talking with Mark Borg, who's the author of Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself, Change Your World. So we've identified, hopefully, a little bit about where our own behavior is coming from or where it may be coming from in other people that that we are seeing around us. And I I guess the big thing, and what I want to spend this part of the show on, the the remaining time that we have together, is what are we going to do about it? So we're probably not going to be able to change other people, or are we? No, I don't think that 
we directly change other people. I don't think we go after them with the jerkery that we see in them. In fact, I think that's probably the way to guarantee a counterattack. But I think what we do have when we are able to look at other people's behavior with compassion, like I was describing earlier about my daughter, what we have is we have this pause button that we can start to install in ourselves, and we can start to recognize that other people are acting poorly. If, if we're not in a totally impulsive, reactive state, we can hit pause, and we can give ourselves an opportunity to treat that jerk differently, even if that means it's not engaging. Even if that means someone cuts me off on the freeway and I, I hit pause long enough to say, whoa, that person must be having a bad day. And, the, you know, so I have two rules for dealing with this kind of behavior, Two, The first one is keep the focus on yourself. Mm-hmm. The second one is refer to rule one. It's that <laughs> important because so, we can't control other people's behavior. But we can control our overt reaction to other people's behavior. So we can hit pause. We can take a step back, we can call a moratorium on ourselves, and we can look at our part in that. We can look at our part in the other person's bad behavior, and oftentimes we might come up with, ah, I didn't do anything to provoke this person, but I can tell you if that then my part becomes not feeding into the other person's jerky behavior, because I'm telling you that a jerk is a person who's acting out insecurity or anxiety or some kind of unhappiness and is walking through the world with a constant invitation for other people to join them in your jerky behavior. There's a rule of thumb here, which is the kind of like there's no such thing as a single jerk. Jerks are always inviting other people. They're always so that the real, you know, 101 on this is do not feed the jerk. Do not feed them. Do not engage. Now, as you're talking, I'm wondering about this, and I guess I'm coming to this as a, as a non-psychologist, wondering whether there are external jerks and internal jerks, for lack of a better, a better way of looking at it, is it that what we've been talking about so far is people who treat other people badly, mm-hmm. whether it's preemptively or not. But there probably are, I'm guessing, a lot of jerks who direct their behavior at themselves and yeah. are, are hostile to themselves and uh, yeah. super critical and just never live up to their own expectations. And how, how does that differentiate and how does it play out in somebody's life? Okay, you, that to me is the million-dollar question, and that's who I really wrote this book for. I love the idea of the external jerk grabbing hold of this and taking a hard look, but it's the internal jerk who really suffers. It's the one who keeps taking this stuff on her or himself. It's the person who somehow or other won't give themselves a break. Really, the bottom line that I come to in my you know, years of research on this behavior is that the, 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 the answer underneath all of this, underneath acting out all this insecurity and anxiety, is exactly what you're hinting at, which is self-acceptance. I'm not going to be able to stop being a jerk to other people. I'm not going to be able to be, stop being a jerk to myself until I somehow am able to accept myself as I actually am. That's really it's hard. very hard. Yeah. It's hard, and, it, and, it, and I think it requires you know, the care of other people. I think part of our acceptance of ourselves, since I believe we are thoroughly social creatures as human beings, so I believe that part of accepting ourselves also includes accepting what other people have to offer. It, it includes asking for help. It includes knowing something about what our needs are and taking the risk of asking other people to meet them for and with us. And how do you get, let's get back a little bit to the parenting side of things. How do you begin to deal with this? Say that you recognize, we'll, we'll get back to, to, to ourselves in just a minute, but say that you recognize mm-hmm. this in your child. 
and you're able to put some distance there and, and say that I, I really want to help my child. I see that he or she's acting out in a particular way and it's causing an exodus of friendships or a lack of friendships altogether and it's causing all sorts of other problems. How do you help a child make some changes? I mean, yeah, I mean, I think that's what we were talking about earlier. I think that helping that child is being willing to put ourselves in that child's experience. I think it's probably unlikely that any suffering that a child is going through, whether they're acting it out by bullying other kids, whether they're acting it out by getting bad grades or isolating themselves, there's hardly, I think, a feeling that drives that jerky behavior in a child that a parent couldn't somehow relate to if we allow ourselves. See, I think empathy is actually a really serious action that we take for people that we care about. Because empathy, in my definition, is literally allowing myself to go back to, say, a very painful moment in my life like I did, you know, in my, when my kid was isolating herself, and, and get into that experience of my own so that when I talk to my child, I'm really there with her in empathy. And that, that starts to create a safe space that the child can at least start to articulate what's underneath the bad behavior. Because I don't think any child is going to take a frontal assault on this behavior. In fact, when my child started having difficulties last year, I noticed that she would never talk to me if I'd sit there at the dinner table or if I'd sit there at a restaurant, I'd be looking at her and I'd tell me what's going on. But what I started to realize, because I live in New York and we walk everywhere, and what I realized is if I started walking with my child and just not looking directly at her but just walking down the street, and just kind of started, you know, talking about some of the ways I relate to what she was going through. My child just started, you know, and really getting underneath the feelings that were driving her eh, questionable behavior. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I'll tell you something, I guess a self-revealing kind of a thing, but that I found very helpful that a therapist told me, I don't know, 25, 30 years ago, because I think I'm one of the, the more internal jerky people and, and treat myself mm. badly. He said to me, interrupted me in the middle of my going on about something and said, if you saw on the street somebody treating another person the way that you treat yourself, you would stop them. And I, that for some reason, I, that just pops into my head every once in a while when I'm, I'm in a, a not a good space. And I think, you know, okay, just let's just back off and consider what's really going on here. And I, I think that, that kind of helps. Yeah. Oh, and I think that's, that's a really beautiful example because it's also, I think, an example of you being in a place where you could hear that said by someone that could say something like that. And, 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 and your willingness to take that in as, as, an, as an expression of his care and his, and his love for you. Yeah, it was, I mean, you know, I, I guess I didn't take it as care and love. I just, I thought it was a, an, an, an <laughs> okay, insightful, okay. well, an insightful yeah. thing. But, it, but your willingness to take it in. Yeah, I mean, no, I mean, you're probably right. There probably was some professional care and love going on there. But it was, uh, it just was, you know, everybody has these little phrases that get stuck in their head that they come back to every once in a while. That, that's, that's one of mine. But so, and then as, as parents ourselves, what are we going to do to train ourselves to react differently? You know, again, I think once you allow yourself to hit pause, once you allow yourself to 
consider where thought and action go. You know, some people say that mental health is the pause between thought and action. If you give yourself a pause between your thought and action, it's a lot less difficult to actually have to answer that kind of a question because we're already modeling some kind of composure. We're already modeling some kind of behavior that allows us to actually listen to each other, to listen to our children. That, that we're, you know, When we're in reaction, there's no way our child is going to hear a single thing that we have to say. All they can do when we're reacting is duck and cover. But if we hit pause and we allow ourselves to take a breath before we respond, even to terrible behavior, our child gets a sense that we're actually, rather than attacking them, we're opening up a space where we can deal with it. Now, we can't always do that immediately. In fact, my wife and I have a sort of a, uh, we have an agreement that if one of us is blowing our stack, the other one can kind of tap in. You know, that's, that's another strategy. But it's a strategy that allows us to, to, to have an alternative to modeling really uh, aggressive, reactive behavior uh, to or at our children. Mark Borg is the author of Don't Be a Dick, Change Yourself, Change Your World, and the book is available pretty much everywhere. Mark, thank you so much for joining us. Great to have you. Thank you so much. I, I Really, really nice talking to you. Thanks for having me on. When I was little, I didn't talk for a long time. I liked things to always be the same. Anything new or different would scare and upset me. I was very sensitive to lights and sounds. It was almost like I had bigger eyes and ears than everyone else. So I built secret hiding places where nothing could get in. I didn't like looking people in the eye. It made me feel uncomfortable. I'd throw big tantrums over little things like when my socks didn't match. Sometimes I'd do the same things over and over. Until one day, I found out I had autism. My family got me help. Slowly, I learned how to live with it better. You can see signs of autism in children as young as 18 months. Early intervention can make a lifetime of difference. Learn the signs at autismspeaks.org slash signs. Brought to you by Autism Speaks and the Ad Council. Hey there, and welcome back to Positive Parenting. I'm Armin Brott, and it's time for an Ask Mr. Dad segment. Dear Mr. Dad, my 14-year-old high school freshman son is completely stressed out. In the past, he always looked forward to school, but for the past few weeks, he's been saying that he doesn't want to go. What can I do to help him? For some kids, going to school is no big deal. For plenty of others, like your son, it's incredibly stressful. There can be all sorts of reasons. Is he, or anyone else he knows, being bullied? Or is he worried that it could happen to him? Or, if it already did, that it'll happen again? Is he nervous about those annoying standardized tests or having trouble keeping up with all the high school homework load? Does he have friends? Is he spending too much time on social media? Is he getting worried about college? Yes, it's early for him as a freshman, but some kids, especially perfectionists, start getting prepared years in advance. Here are some things you can do to reduce school-related stress. Talk with him. Actually, this is mostly about you listening, being there, and being empathetic gently encourage him to explain what he's feeling. That's often enough to alleviate some of the stress. Ask whether there's anything you can do to help, but do not try to solve his problems for him. Wait for him to ask. The exceptions are bullying and test anxiety. 
it's a good idea to give the teacher a heads up and let him or her know to keep an eye on your son. Eliminate performance anxiety. As parents, we want our children to excel and we tell them things like, I expect you to get straight A's this year. This puts a lot of pressure on kids, particularly if they're taking a subject they've never had or have had trouble with in the past. Good grades are nice, but is that A really worth putting him under even more stress than he already feels, or is it worth the hate he'll develop for a subject he might have actually enjoyed if you hadn't pushed so hard? Limit screen time. Too many parents pay too little attention to their children's non-academic screen usage. Kids sleep with their phones, spend breakfast catching up on all the social media updates they slept through, if they slept at all, spend every second of every passing period texting, and so on. Researcher Stephanie Donaldson-Pressman and her colleagues did a huge national study and found that 45 minutes per day is the most a child can spend before there are any apparent effects on their educational, emotional, and social development. 90 minutes of daily screen time can lower a child's GPA by one grade level. Limit extracurricular activities. In high school, your son's primary job is to be a good student, which includes keeping up with homework and other assignments. Anything else, whether it's sports or music lessons, could add more stress to the mix, unless, of course, it's a stress reliever. Give him plenty of breathing room. Keep the extracurriculars to a minimum until you and your son are confident that he's coping well with school. If so, start adding activities he's interested in one at a time. Don't be shy about calling in the professionals. If your son needs tutoring, help him find a tutor. If he's being bullied, notify the school administration. If he has fewer friends than usual or none at all, has lost interest in activities he used to love, is behaving strangely or is spending an excessive amount of time with his face in a device, consider meeting with a child psychologist. There's no shame in asking for help. Thanks for listening to Positive Parenting. You can get more information on today's show and what we're working on in the weeks ahead at MrDad.com. While you're there, visit the MrDad.com gift shop with everything you need to help you become the dad or mom you want to be. Positive Parenting is a production of the MrDad.com radio network. Now, go be a great parent.